Hi, I'm Megan Everett, the host of Unqualified. I'm a tech founder and CEO, speaker, and investor. Qualified is a show all about real founders and the stories we don't normally hear other founders talking about. On today's episode, I got to sit down with my coach and friend, Mark Groves. A lot of you know him from his Instagram account, Create the Love. He's a relationship expert. He speaks all over, and I am so grateful to have him today. Um, we were going to talk about turning your message your message. Funny enough, it turned out a little messy, but um, I really love this conversation. We talked a lot about how he went from pharmaceutical sales into coaching and becoming a relationship expert, um, both of our own journeys, and a little bit about like Me Too movement and re- business relationships. Um, it's just a really good conversation. I hope you guys all enjoy it. I just don't know how to start conversations, which is so funny because I feel like I'm like very good at person at starting conversations. And then I'm maybe like, that's how you start it with I'm not good at starting it. <laughs> <laughs> that's sort of how we do everything that's good, right? Right. It's like, oh, I'm going to start this company. I've never started one before. I'm going to start this conversation. I've had those before. They didn't go well. I'm going to, you know. So funny. I was telling somebody maybe Sunday, I was like, they're like, how did you do this? And I was like, literally, all I knew is like, I can hack a Google sheet and I can sell it. And I was like, I'm going to make a billion dollar company. And everybody was like, no, you're not. Like, calm down. <laughs> and I think that's always the difference in the people, you know, I th- there's a great quote that's about that, that those are the people who change the world. Yeah. Like the people who go on a whim, go on a feeling, leap without knowing whether they'll be caught. And, and that's in essence what everyone has to do to be expansive in anything in their life. Absolutely. So thanks for doing this, by the way. I'm super excited. Of course. It's I'm awesome. happy to do it. It's so much it's such an honor to be invited into this tech world that I'm in that I didn't even know I was in. You <laughs> are in it now, which is super exciting. Um yeah, I was telling some other guests and I was like, my coach Mark, and they're like, Mark who? And I was like, Mark Groves is gonna be on, and they're like create the love and I was like yeah and they're like that's a big deal you have like a real podcast and I was like hopefully <laughs> hopefully I have a real podcast if I'm what validates a real podcast that feels like a real uh heavyweight I'll take it I'll carry it I'll see how we do just take it yeah. so I think I don't even know we we're going to talk about turning your mess into your message right is that what we're doing yeah we can talk yeah. about anything or just life and I don't know. Do a lot of people know how you got started? Like how you went into coaching? No, probably. I mean, you'd have to really sort of, I've shared it, but you'd sort of have to dig into the archives, you know, as most people think uh, my Instagram just got popular one day, you know, like, or I just, I'm lucky, you know, when, man, I started my Instagram off a breakup five years ago where she she suggested because she was a social media manager she suggested that I start an Instagram and we broke up pretty much a week later and nothing feeds the fuel of creativity than heartbreak you know right Um, that's how my Instagram began Uh, but I after a (laughs) previous breakup there's a pattern here Uh, (laughs) I that's actually what happened is I was in sales I was teaching sales training you know creating programs at work uh, for the company I was in 
uh, I wasn't at that point, but I was interested in it. I was studying human behavior. I was in sales. So all I wanted to know was like, how do you manipulate someone's behavior to change and choose the product I have? And when you learn those types of skills, they don't usually just change. They don't usually just take place at work. You know, yeah. I could see that in personal conversations, I could manipulate the conversation so that I didn't have to go deep. So I didn't have to share my feelings. And when that relationship ended, I asked myself, like, how are you so good at communicating about everything but your feelings? And how did we get to this place where I'm so disconnected from who I am? And, and that was the birth of everything. That was like, I need to understand this because if I don't, I'm going to implode. That's amazing. I first like actually related to you when you talked about sales, because I was like, I would like share your quotes and things like that. But like you were on a live and you talked about your past and sales and like the psychology of it. And I was like, oh, like I totally get this guy. Like this makes sense. Um, <laughs> well, obviously because of my past, but yeah. you know, and still kind of my current where I'm like, this isn't the way we do sales. We build relationships and we're honest and authentic, which is so like not what people do. Um, yeah, I think it's interesting. I, I mean, I'm fascinated how you went from like pharmaceutical rep to really just like helping people and, you know, finding out how to feel your feelings. I mean, that transition was waking up in, and I don't know what other word to use, but really when my engagement ended, that relationship I was referring to, I was 27. And it was really the first time I ever asked myself, why do I do what I do? And why do I think the way I think? I'd never thought about that. And, you know, we call that metacognition, mm -hmm. sort of step outside of who you are to observe who you are. And it took a number of years and it's, you know, still always happening, but to unlayer and to figure out who did I construct in order to be part of a family, a religion, a culture, versus who am I actually? I think those threads are very important to be able to separate, but they're challenging to separate because you have to face the truth that you've created a bit of a facade. And in sales, I mean, that gave me a perfect place to thrive in that skill set, you know? And if you think about it, the best salespeople are also the best at formulating rapport. Oh, yeah. Well, in order to formulate rapport, you have to mirror and and you have to make it so the other person sees themselves in you. Well, I mean, that's the, that's sort of the uh, essence of wearing a mask, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I think it's, and it's interesting when you're in sales, all of a sudden have that realization, but like, you're not actually building relationships, like you're manipulating people, which I had. Oh my gosh. Have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was in pharma, so, you know, it's a, it's even a larger impact when you sort of not to dismiss anyone else's impact. I just mean, yeah, I'm like working in an area of health and wellness. And when I started to learn more about emotional pain and about, you know, cause I knew all the science of cardiovascular disease. I sold drugs for gastrointestinal. I sold to internists, endocrinologists, every area. And I went to patient rounds. I mean, I learned so much, but I never, we're in that model of medicine, we're treating symptoms for the most part. I, I don't mean to dismiss the 
absolute value of allopathic medicine, but we're treating symptoms. And I started, as I learned more about emotion and disconnection from self and conflict in relationships, I realized that really the largest impact is our emotions and our own, our body's response to conflict. Man, I was like, wow, I could I could use these powers of behavior change for good rather than making someone choose a different product on a prescription pad. How did you turn this into a business? Like you started the Instagram and then did you start coaching? Did you do certifications? Like what was the path there? I didn't start my Instagram till I was 35. So my engagement oh. ended at 27. Okay. And then I started to study positive psychology because it was sort of the perfect I was like the science of highly effective humans this is like the greatest like the merger because I was certainly related to spirituality in some sense Uh, I think whenever you lose who you are your identity is shattered the only thing you can cling to is some space of there's got to be a greater picture here otherwise why would I be going through this right and yeah and I read um, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. That was one of the first books I read after my engagement ended that I never thought about why am I here? Maybe I'm part of something greater. I don't know. You know, I started to really think about that. And then I started to study what does make for great relationships? Why do they end? Why do they not? And I really dove into the science of them. And at the exact same time, I was working and started to use the business that I was in to get the company to help facilitate my training. Oh. And so they helped pay to go back to school and do positive psychology. And um, I had the best manager in the world. She was just all about like, how do I help you grow? Ah, man, she was amazing. And, you know, eventually I sort of had an exit plan. I just didn't know what it looked like. So as I was doing positive psychology, I think I signed up for that program and when I was 32 and I finished that started coaching while I was doing that built a website invested in branding Um, and I so I built a website and started blogging and the blog I had I think it was like my fourth article I ever wrote went viral wow when was this yeah this was probably like 2000 12 or 13 somewhere so around not there. even that many people um, were blogging at that point not really uh I was definitely on the tail end of like uh Danielle Laporte Gabrielle Bernstein okay. um Chris uh I forget he he wrote the hundred dollar startup okay um Chris Gillibo um yeah I was definitely way after them but I did when I started my Instagram at 35 I was still working as a pharma rep, I was working in oncology and hematology, and I had I had the company move me to Vancouver. So I was really like, you know, I remember taking this course. I was starting to go to personal growth conferences, and I choose a new conference every year to go to on my own to learn new things. And I was at one, and a lady said, "Don't quit your job for your dream. Use your job as the investor in your dream." And so that's really what I started to do instead of like leaping into the unknown with no security, I started to coach on the side and I planned my first retreat. And then I quit my job on April 1st. And it would be like, I think it it just was five years, which is crazy to think. Wow. Was it five years? It was four years that I quit my job, four years ago. 
just over four years now. And, um, <laughs> you know, I left a high, a really good six-figure income with a car paid for and gas. You know, at that point, if my company is listening to me now, I wasn't really working very hard <laughs> at that point. You know, I was working hard on other stuff. Yeah. And it just got to a point where in order to stay in that job, I knew I, I was completely abandoning myself. Like I could tell I was at a point where I was probably going to get sick or I was just so out of alignment with that work. So it required this space between am I going to make it? I don't know, but I know I need to leave this. And, and to me, that's the ultimate. Now, when I look back, those are always the most graceful moments because they're in the moment, much like with imposter syndrome, which of course I had, and you know, we, we all, I think get waves of it. Yeah. Uh, that's that space between, are you going to validate me or is this actual choice and action starting to make it so I'm in charge of my own validation? And that's a real big and you don't realize that that requires the most amount of courage to leap. And so many people were saying like, hey, just leap and trust. Just you can't skydive and stay on the plane. Like it's time to go. <laughs> and so I did. It's probably when I've done that, the scariest and like most amazing moments of my life where you're just like, oh, man. Yeah. like I have no clue what's about to happen. Like similarly, like, you know, I left a high paying job and without a plan <laughs> so right. there's better ways to do this obviously but like <laughs> I was like no blow up my world like wait what am I gonna do now start my own company this is the scariest thing ever um but it's and look at you now what yeah and look at you now yeah I know it's a a little bit of luck a lot of hard work I would say um because I think when yeah. you're successful in startups and anything there's some there's some alignment and some luck there. Like so many people work very hard and don't make it, you know, it's. Um, yeah. But, it's hard to um, sort of embrace the synchronicity of life without feeling like you minimize, we minimize someone else's um, failure. I, I don't even like using the failure word failure because I, I, I personally live by the mantra that, any ending is just redirection. And so for me, it's, I knew there was sort of a synchronicity or a deeper calling that was saying, you have to go teach these things. Like everything I was learning, I felt like no one was telling the truth about relationships. And I was against, you know, a lot of models, a lot of models of systems of how this works. You know, you can't say relationships, endings aren't failures and then be embraced by you know, extreme Christians who shame divorce or any religion, it doesn't matter. Right. So, you know, you're coming up against systems, but also you always know you're in a state of expansion that requires your growth when you don't know how it's going to work out. And that's true of everything. That's true of hard conversations. That's true of taking a different way to work. That's true of everything that expands us. We've never been to before. So if we live in a world that's familiar, we're not expanding. We're in we're in the comfort zone, which, hey, coffee tastes great in the comfort zone. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but also, coffee tastes fucking delicious from a space that you've never been before. A different type of coffee that you might never have known about, which don't get me wrong. Yeah, I think coffee is, is a form of uh, uh, mourning that I love. I love. It's like an essential. The smell of it alone, you know, gets you up. I think we both have an equal 
like love affair with coffee. I'm. We were just talking about how neither of us can give it up. You know, I once took a bet for for, uh, and I quit for a year and a half. A year and a half? I've never quit that long. Maybe like a month when I did that. <laughs> when I did like one of those cleanses where you're like, I'm gonna do a cleanse. No, never again. <laughs> you're like, I'll do a cleanse with coffee. I feel like there is a coffee cleanse, but you got to put it up your butt. The yeah, coffee really. Enema. I'm not really yeah. interested in that. I've never taken it up there. I like to taste it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the wrong way. Oh, it's so funny. I like, I mentioned it earlier, but like coaching with you and we've only been working together, what, two months now? I think like, yeah, right I think around. Just over, yeah, that's about right. Yeah. So it's interesting to like all of a sudden have this like really amazing life that I had before but now with boundaries and you've worked with a lot of people and you do group coaching, like when you see those transformations and I'm sure it's not with everyone, but like you get to see these on a larger scale, how, I mean, the impact you have now over pharmaceutical, like how does that feel? Oh man, it feels like a world of difference. You know, I had to learn and continue to learn all these things on the way. Yeah. Really. I, I always think like, and we talked about that concept of turning your mess into your message. What that does is it, it, um, it gives reason for pain, and then we transmute it. We transmute the pain and the shame into uh, wisdom and expansion, but not just for ourselves, but for other people. And that's really I've sort of modeled or created my work from this place of being ashamed. I, I excise my own shame by writing about how I fuck up and how I've made mistakes or what I've learned. And it really, in a lot of ways, it gives a voice to a younger version of me that made that mistake. And the level of impact is, I mean, I don't know. I've never woken up and been like, oh, it's not a big deal. Like I really take this uh, gift, this opportunity um, to heart with so much gratitude because I needed me, you know, I needed me so many times in my life and and that's why we you know, I really do believe we become the teacher we we needed and to watch someone you know because it's really quite simple it's not actually very complex to become a, a, a I don't want to say a whole human because we're already whole but to actually separate ourselves from what we were taught figure out who we are based on who we became in order to be loved which just takes some time and some work and keeping the things you love and getting rid of the things you don't and then learning boundaries. Once you learn boundaries, you'll have a great life. That's just true. But the hard part is you have to set boundaries with people who benefited from you having them. And that is terrifying. It's terrifying because the person we became to get validation is worried that if we lose them, we won't be okay on our own. But then you learn, much like the imposter syndrome, that you're okay on your own. That love doesn't come from someone else. Validation doesn't come from someone else. Those are, that's the model of shifting from what has been evolutionarily programmed within us to this new place we're at, which is such a beautiful gift to be alive today. Because 70 years ago, our parents, who I'm sure a lot of people listening, come from immigrant families or poor families. Or, and I mean, I grew up getting my sister's old clothes and my brother's old clothes. Like, we didn't come from wealth. And my mom moved from Ireland. My dad grew up in a small town in a farm. And 
his parents like you know got on a wagon and came from you know like you think about these things and it's crazy if grandpa you could do anything you want holy shit i don't even know what he'd say back but it would not be you're right mark <laughs> because the model of the world has changed so much opportunity has changed so much even the fact that we think about what we want to do with our lives is completely different than how we were unless you came from a very wealthy family in the early 1900s the 1800s you were born into a family and you served a role that got your family through a generation and gave more opportunity and although that's still true today because of the internet we do have more of you could be living in bangladesh and start a website company and charge us dollars and be rich beyond belief so it's kind of crazy and education is free right which is pretty crazy to you i was just talking to um, a friend that works for gary v and mm-hmm. they were saying they're like you know this idea that you don't need to go to college is also like it's a little taboo but really like if you want to learn something you can just learn it now you can become a master at anything without ever touching an ac- academic center. Anything. And that's confronting to my own upbringing, which was you better get a degree. And because if you don't get a degree, you won't get a job. And as a male, very much part of my upbringing was become a good provider. And I tell you, I showed up at the exact moment I was taught to always have when I was 27. I was making over 100000 a year, which for some reason... Now with inflation would need to be more, but that was what I needed to make in my brain, to be a good provider, to be a good partner, to have a house with a fence and a car. And I honestly, I got to that moment and I got engaged to a great woman and I met that moment and I went, it doesn't feel how I thought it was going to feel. And that caused me the greatest amount of cognitive dissonance because all of a sudden I said, I was scared before. And I'm not sure I wanted to get engaged, but everyone just told me I was afraid of commitment and I was afraid to grow up. And I was like, well, maybe that's true. But the moment I got engaged, I met the moment I was always taught to want and it didn't feel how everyone told me. And I thought maybe I should be the, the, the chooser of my life. Maybe I know better actually what I want and don't want and you actually don't know. And that actually, I was really angry when my engagement ended because I was angry that I'd been lied to. And I feel like college, and I say this with so much love for anyone who's confronted by this thought, but college is not essential. And if anything, when we participate, and don't get me wrong, like academic spaces need to train you for things like accounting or being a doctor or those types of things, right? I mean, those are very specific skill sets. You're not going to go on. You could go on YouTube and learn how to suture someone or do a heart transplant. But I'd rather you actually go to training if Please. you're going to do my heart. Right. right. So, but you can go find a master of that thing and learn from them. And because there's so many people openly sharing their knowledge for free. Yes. Th- you literally can become a master of anything. And that is so cool. Because when we participate in this academic cycle, Remember saying no to university then says now there's so many systems and jobs that are connected to university, not to mention academic certifications that are often very valid. So I'm not dismissing that if someone gets triggered by it, but it also invalidates a lot of academic certifications that really, um, you know, on, on some level might be seen as not necessary. 
I totally agree. Um, it's interesting. I look back at college and honestly, so fun. Like I so have the typical, like I had the typical sorority, all of that college experience, but I look at it, what I do now. And I'm like, Oh, if I graduated now, I could go take like a few courses and get a coaching certification and build a website and do this, maybe do sales for a few years and then like start what I already started. Um, that wasn't an option in 2002, you know, like, no, 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 it wasn't. I was, yeah, I graduated from college in 01. Yeah. You know, there, the internet was still on pretty people today would throw their phone in a lake at the speeds (laughs) that happen. It's like when you get on a 3g because there's nothing out available and you're like, Oh my God. Right. That's times that by a hundred. That was our college life. Oh my God. I, some, my mom lived in the tiniest town and they still had dial up when I was in college. So I'd come <laughs> home from like having ethernet internet at college and go home and it was still dial up because they didn't oh have gosh. anything else. And it was so, so slow. I would be like, I can't deal with this. I'm going to Starbucks. <laughs> yeah. Starbucks is the savior. There's a town that I go to for a vacation and it, it actually, all the internet runs through a phone line and it is <laughs> so slow. But you you find the value actually in the opposite of like, uh, and you and I have talked about this privately before, but that um, you find the value in what it means actually to feel disconnected from technology, which is also incredibly freeing because you start to reconnect with yourself on a cellular level because it's so easy to stay tethered to these digital connections and texts and FaceTime and Facebook and Instagram, when you let go of those things, you also begin to reclaim your own biology in some sense too. I think it's so important. I, I've actually started scheduling like two days a month that I don't do any technology. So everything goes on do not disturb. I'm not on Instagram or anything. And it's so freeing. I'm normally like hiking where I don't even have service, which is, that's so great. It's amazing. And it's, I come back feeling like, oh, like I'm me again. I'm not wrapped up in whatever happened or like answering 200 DMs a day or whatever. Like I get to just be free. You start to see too that the world stays up, <laughs> you know, yeah. like when you leave a job. Like in pharma, there was always a funny joke that when someone leaves a position, sales go up. <laughs> and you see like, you know, oh, when I leave this company, they're, you know, they're going to fall apart. Nope, they're fine. <laughs> and and yeah. that's, that's just the way life is. You know, we, I think we take on this largely, um, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but like we, maybe in an order to protect ourselves, we think we ha- are so much more important and we have such a Gosh. larger impact. But if I left my Instagram, it would be fine. You know, people would just read old posts and they'd be like, where did Mark go? Okay. All right. he still has his stuff here. So we're fine. Well, I'm like, there's tools that post for us. Exactly. Somebody said last weekend, you're posting on Instagram and you're not answering me. And I was at a wedding and I was like, I wasn't posting like Buffer was posting. (laughs) Well, isn't that funny? Because that also creates this expectation that people have created that we should always be available. Always. I was, it's so funny when I talk about vacation to people, because when my parents took vacations, nobody could get a hold of them. Like they had a cell phone for like the family when I was little. 
Um, and not even until I was like maybe in sixth grade. And like there was an email. You literally took vacations and nobody knew where you were. Oh, man. Isn't that delicious? And I never had that in my adult life. I've always had a career with an email and a work number. And like, I still work on my vacations. Yeah, kids today don't know. And I, I sound so old. They are this. old. <laughs> but, you know, it's like kids today don't know how beautiful it is to not always be connected. So and nice. It, just to be connected. And, but it also shows you how we can't escape our biology, which is we need people beside us, literally in our cellular space, so we can experience you know, this world together beyond FaceTime. FaceTime's obviously been a very valuable way to have long distance relationships and to connect with loved ones. So there's value to the tool, obviously. But there's also a cost to everything. And we forget often how important that touch is, that like, hey, I'm here for you, hand on your leg, you know, or your back. Like that is so different than, hey, I'm here for you. Oh, the the signals I'm thinking I'm cutting out, you know, like it's just different. I totally agree. I, and I've even found myself like caught up in that, especially when I'm really busy or traveling a lot where I'm like, Oh, just FaceTime me. And then when you actually get to sit with somebody and have coffee or like go for a walk or go to the gym, it's like, Oh, like this is what connecting is. It's, It's so amazing. Like I, I FaceTime with a friend all the time and we've been friends for, I don't know, like 15 years. And last week we actually met for coffee and I hadn't seen her face to face since April. And I was like, Oh, like this is what it's like to be face to face with Jenny. Like I forgot how important this was to me. And now we're like, Oh, like we need to actually like carve out time for each other. We both run businesses, but like FaceTime is not cutting it for our friendship. And it's nothing wrong in our friendship. We just like, being together in the same space there's an energy exchange and it's just so much better yeah there's a there absolutely there's a there's a feeling that you can't manufacture with ones and zeros and you know I'm reminded constantly and and you know I just recently went through a breakup and then went into the forest and basically tried to become a tree for a little bit and as I was sitting in the forest, I could feel my body unwind. Yeah. And it was unwinding in this really cool way because I was out of Wi-Fi. There was no cell signal. This is the dial-up place. I don't want to tell people where it is because don't I love tell people. it. It's so remote. But the what I loved about it is I actually felt my body slow down and almost get back on time with the circadian rhythm of life. And that was a really cool feeling. It it was hard to, it's hard to articulate because in that moment, it was just like this releasing of so much tension and the move, how we try to speed through everything. And there's a great book written by a palliative care nurse named Bronnie Ware. And it's called The Five Regrets of the Dying. And in her work where she just studied people who, were dying um, and over her time of her career, there were five things that people almost always said at the end of their life. And none of them had to do with wanting to work more. You know, they were all related to, I wish I'd done what truly made me happy. 
I wish I'd lived for myself and not for others so much. I wish, uh, you know, they were all emotionally relational based. Yeah. And that's it's a beautiful book. Relation- oh, it's so good. And the yeah. relation, I mean, relationships are the most important thing. And companies need to recognize that when we don't talk about love, it's like a family not talking about their alcoholic parent. It still exists. So when a partner or a person at work goes through a divorce, it actually has a massive impact on the productivity of the company or whatever their role is. But it also has a massive impact on everyone that's directly relating to them in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And we don't see that because we're so afraid, especially, you know, I find what's ironic is that the Me Too movement has made it so we should be talking about these things more. But in a lot of ways, HR is afraid of sex and love. But it's, so it's the exact same. Well, you see this, that companies are just modeling the same fear that religion put into our culture, yeah. which is afraid of talking about sex. Let's talk about abstinence. Let's do this. We already know that abstinence doesn't work. It actually causes more teen pregnancy and more STIs, not the actual abstinence, because that wouldn't make sense. But the, you know, the shame associated with these things and companies are perpetuating the same thing. And that's why I would say to people in business settings where I'm like, you need to turn towards it and you need to educate your employees because otherwise you're part of the problem. And you don't realize how much a team in a company thrives when they learn about love. Yeah. Oh my God. It's insane how much they thrive because if, I don't know if you've ever read the culture code. I have. I love that book. Right. And what is the one thing that he says is one of the most important drivers of culture? It's the need for psychological safety, the need to be able to be oneself in a safe space. And that's true of families. That's true of relationships. That's true of all human systems. That's why we can't escape the human part of the system, even though we want to. And I feel like there is a movement, you know, like your company, other companies that I've worked with that are like, we, I want to, because they experience the transformation of what it means to learn about oneself relationally. Because if you want to figure out what you're bad at, just look at your romantic relationships (laughs) or how you deal with conflict at work. Both of those will be correlated to how you were taught about conflict as a child. So it's very fascinating how they're all connected. And I really hope that leaders begin to see, usually leaders are afraid of looking at it themselves, which is really not a great sign of leadership. No, I think we're starting to see that change with this younger generation coming into entrepreneurship and like such waves. And I think it's amazing. Yeah. Like, and of course there's like the false advertisement of what it is, but there really are like 22 to like 28 year olds that are doing this great. And I see their companies and I'm like, I wish I would have known that then. But I've also had people be like, you hired a relationship expert as your executive coach. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. Like, and I, I always repeat the sentence back to people because I'm like, why wouldn't I hire a relationship expert as my executive coach? Like being a leader is relationships. Like I don't need somebody to tell me like how to do my books or, you know, what I should put on the website like that I can hire, but like how to be a better leader is solely how to do better relationships and how to support people better and how to support myself better. Um, so it's interesting to me that like 
it's this foreign concept to people that you would talk about relationships and love and sex in a company. Um, and I think when we talk about the Me Too movement, we get to this part where it's like everyone's so scared now. I know mm-hmm. companies that have put in policies where like male and female employees aren't allowed to be one on one together. Like, Man, and it's isn't like, that so sad? And it does. It reminds me of growing up in a fundamental Christian church. And I don't want to harp on anybody's religion. Like I respect them. But from my experience, it was like, you can't be alone with men because, you know, nobody knows what's going to happen. And it's like, I don't want that fear in my company. And I don't think anybody else should. I think educating and telling people, you know, this is what is acceptable and this is what isn't. And we have open door policies is so much more important. Well, and the fear just perpetuates the problem more so people don't realize that. It's kind of like if you're afraid that someone's going to leave you and then you do all the behaviors that try to make them stay, like over-communicating, getting anxious, doing all these different things, you push them away. So the outcome becomes what you fear anyways because we begin to create it. And wherever you hold fear, we hold shame. You know, and that's – we have to turn towards those things because – you know, we need to learn how to relate, not how to fear relating. You know, that's the, that's the thing is, is, is it so, you know, you, even in this concept of, of leadership, what is the greatest struggle that most leaders deal with, or at least from a, a personal perspective? Well, it's usually work-life balance, mm-hmm. but work-life balance as a concept isn't even real because if, if you were, you know, you might hear from your partner, I need you to be home more. Well, if you were home all the time and had no work, you'd probably drive them crazy. But if you were at work all the time, so there's no balance. It's not about balance. It's about synergy. Are both of them giving or taking away from who you are and your energy? And then you have to look at why. And then that then becomes, because of course, leaders model what employees want to do. Yeah. Or leaders model values and priorities. And they really are what the culture is based on. So many companies have these altruistic, beautiful missions, right? And but but then my hand there, (laughs) right? They all do. (laughs) But then when you actually get by the water cooler, or you're hanging out with the employees, or you do an anonymous survey, you see that the culture is actually disconnected from the mission, and that is the space between, it's similar to a human, who I'm pretending to be versus who I'm actually being. The same thing with a culture, who we want to appear as versus what we actually value in the decisions and choices and leadership that we do within the company. Well, whenever there's a space between who we are and who we say we want to be, there's incongruence and that causes toxicity. Same thing within a company. And then you start to get triangulation and you start to get um, you know, a company that everyone's talking about what's really going on, but, but it's not open door to tell the leadership that. I think it's, I mean, I'm thinking back two months to our first conversation and I'm like, oh yeah, I remember all this. <laughs> I, like our first conversation, you said to me multiple times, you're like, you're a doormat. And I was like, who the fuck does this guy think he is? <laughs> like, that was literally my initial like, thought I'm when you first said it. like, I'm this guy to call me a doormat? This is <laughs> ridiculous. I almost said to you, I was like, no one has ever called me a doormat. I may have said some ver- version of that. Because I'm like, <laughs> I'm a badass CEO. Like, fuck you. Um, <laughs> Which was I, true, too. 
it, it was bo- both portrayal. Yeah. And then we started making these changes, and my employees felt so allowed or invited to come and talk to me again. And they, like, mm. they felt supported as I put in boundaries and started standing up for myself. And they were like, yeah, like, nothing ever got done. And, like, it was just – and people would literally say, we didn't know when you were going to cry. And I was like, mm. how crazy is that to not be able to come to your CEO and know that there's some big issue happening because of the partner split, which I can talk about. But like, you know, knowing that there's some giant issue coming and that you may bring something up to your CEO and they're just going to cry and tell you to do whatever you want. Like, yeah. I don't recognize that person that well, <laughs> um, but it is a part of me. And it's like, fuck, like I was a doormat and I was a little bit of an emotional mess and I wasn't supporting my team, you know? When we don't feel safe, you know, within ourselves, how can you support your team when you're within your own self? You don't feel like you are supported by yourself. Right. And that's why sometimes those sort of like loving calls forward, like the truth of who you're being, right? Because that, in the essence, that is what all of us, that when I said earlier, like, it's actually quite simple, you know, mm-hmm. but if the, the first part of any transformation requires a grounding with truth of, of who we actually are, not who we pretend not. And the best way to do that is to go to people you love and say, what is the hardest part of being in relationship with me? And then what's the best part, you know, because there's always good parts, but you can find out real and you'll see a common thread pick a best friend, pick a colleague, pick, pick a, a partner, pick a parent, a parent who's safe to ask, because that's not always safe to ask. Right. But, but any of those people will mirror to you. And that's really the work is, I don't, I don't know. I just mirror back what they just told me. Right. I don't think but I look how I didn't want to hear it yet that's what it was it was like i'm i'm not accepting this yet (laughs) (laughs) but you did want to hear it because you changed so fast and that's that difference of someone who's really ready to change and done with their own stuff you know i think elizabeth gilbert has a quote that is i've never seen a transformation that didn't begin with someone getting tired of their own bullshit oh absolutely yeah and that's true for me you know that's true for me every time because unconsciously we can be doing things that we don't know we're doing till we step out of them. And we're like, Oh, I was in an unconscious loop. I didn't even know about And the research is pretty clear that when an employee has great boundaries, they're actually more likely to get promoted because their bosses can trust them, yeah. trust them to say no to things that aren't okay. And <laughs> I think a lot of companies get scared about that because a lot of companies actually take advantage of their employees and their employees work far more than they should and, or take on roles and responsibilities that aren't theirs. And what happens if all of a sudden everyone gets boundaried? Well, your company is not going to like that you have boundaries because they benefited from you having none. But if you don't design your own life, someone will do it for you and you might not like what they come up with. Right. You wake up one day and realize that this isn't what you signed on for. Yeah. And then stepping into the power of saying no, then gets labeled often as selfishness. Well, and I've seen that, and I'm sure you see that with a lot of your clients is that, Mm -hmm. 
you know, once you, when you've been this way for so long of like being a doormat and not setting boundaries or not holding boundaries, because I felt like I was setting boundaries all the time, but I wasn't holding them. There was no consequences to people not respecting them. Um, and then you start to really hold them and almost all of your relationships change. And it's, oh, yeah, they have to. It's so scary. And I remember saying to you, I am terrified that I'm going to lose everyone. And you literally were like, so what? I was like, but that's, that's I hope, really I hope scary. I have, <laughs> I hope you I have a more lot empathy. more to say. Yes. Yeah, I'm Sorry. like, I hope I, I have more empathy. Um, but but it, because it is those, scary. It was so scary. I, you definitely validated my feelings there. But also it was like, so what if you lose people that are treating you like a doormat? This is my takeaway. I don't think you actually said these words. That, but that's like, exactly true. No, I, I, yeah. I probably said something along those lines. Because yeah. you're losing what is not safe. Right. And when we become conditioned to be in spaces that are hurtful, that are powerless, that we shrink to meet other people, stepping into a space where we are rising in our power it's so easy to just give it away again because sometimes, I mean, we get power from giving our power away. You know, that's the victim martyr mindset and to actually stand in our power and see what we're capable of fully connected to ourselves. Oh man, it's insanity. I mean, look at what you've created in two months. It's, it's insane. Your life is completely different and it's only been two months. It's only been two months, but I was ready and it had to be, it was like, and I think that's where a lot of us make these changes is that it's literally at a point of like, I either like have to start over or blow my life up or mm-hmm. I have to change everything and actually do the work. And the work is the scary part. The losing people and all of that become easier, but like the deeper you go into the work and work with your inner child. And I know there's people that are going to be listening to this that are like, Oh God. Um, inner child, inner child. Okay. They're like, and "And we're done. (laughs) (laughs) And such an invitation for those people, which I've been those people, us people, to be like, oh, maybe there's something there because I don't want to learn about it. Right. Absolutely. It's It's a journey for sure. It's been fun. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's like painfully joyous, you know, and so, and that bridge between if I have these boundaries, I'm afraid I'm going to lose everyone. That's the same bridge that the imposter goes through. That's the same bridge that requires leaping into a dream. It's the bridge that goes from if you love me, I love me to if I love me, I love me. So that's that evolutionary shift. That is if you validate me, I'm worthy. If I validate me, I'm worthy. And though between those two spaces, is the most important aspect of surrendering and trusting and letting the new world unfold. Because all of a sudden you see where the space that was taken up by people who deplete us, they either rise to become people who contribute to our energy. Because this isn't about just cutting people off. You should cut toxic people off. But it's about actually inviting those people to meet you instead of shrinking to keep them safe. And that's what so many of us learn as kids is minimize who I am in order to maintain the safety of my family system. Like, don't be too loud because I might, you know, in a religious setting, go to hell. Or don't be self-expressive or curious about sex or relations. 
because if I do that, I've been taught that I'll be shamed. Right. Don't fail. Don't make mistakes because I've watched my, you know, I watched uh, my aunt get divorced and she got completely kicked out of my family or shamed. So we start to observe all these things. And when you put all those messages together and you begin to see what you were taught and then you start to change your life, it's amazing how fast it changes and how free we feel. And everyone is worthy of that freedom. And it doesn't cost money. That freedom doesn't cost money. What it costs is courage. And if we can step into that, I mean, that there's a great line from, I think it's uh, the movie, Should We Build the Zoo or whatever that one's called. Oh, what is that I think movie? it's from that. I think it's called, it's with Ben Stiller. The movie but, is good. I just don't know what it's called. I'll find out. I think it's like, should we own a zoo or whatever. But Something. anyways, there's a great line in it that says, um, everyone is capable of at least 10 seconds of absolute courage. And that's all it takes to change your life is 10 seconds to run a little harder, to have a conversation we're terrified of, to tell someone we love them, to sell someone we feel disconnected, to step into a dream, to quit your job, to start a job. I mean, it only takes that small space of digging deeper than we've ever dug and really stepping into this space of expansion, which, man, you've done. You crushed it. And you're crushing I love it. that quote. I it's feel like you're quote. crushing it. Yeah, that's amazing. So I know we're coming up on our, we've got a hard stop on this. So... How do people work with you? I know I'm a lucky one that somehow talked you into working one-on-one, but. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a rare feat. Uh, you work with teams, you do group coaching, and you have courses. Can you tell people where to find you? Yeah, so you can find me on my website, which is markgroves.tv, like television. And I have a team of coaches, and um, they're amazing. Uh, that I've trained and work with. And then um, I also have an Instagram called Create the Love. Facebook, you can find me there. I pretty much own the first page of Google. So you can find me pretty easily. <laughs> and although, hey, maybe another Mark Groves will sneak in there. It's probably going to happen. But the maybe. yeah, so that's how you find me. I run online courses. If I work with companies, I'll do a workshops, that kind of thing. I love speaking. I love keynotes. They're my favorite. I speak at wellness conferences, things like that about conflict and our wellness, our health. Um, go into companies, talk about those things. What is effective teams, effective leaderships, um, and how those relate to relationships. Perfect. So thanks so much for Mark. having me. Yeah, thank yeah. you so much for having me. It's such an honor and a pleasure to uh, to evolve alongside you. Thank you for being here and being so supportive of my journey um i'll link everything so everybody can find you but this was amazing well thanks for having me i'm so grateful me too